I would like to start this Pentecost with a confession. It's good for the soul. The plan was, having done, uh, what did we do last week? Pentecost, Acts 2. We were going to do what this week? No, actually, we're going to do six. But I couldn't do it. I couldn't skip three. It'll play havoc with the plan, but that's okay. Um, it's just too good a story, and it's the logical flow out of the Pentecost story. So, um, final exam for the Pentecost story. Now, chapter 2, book of Acts, coming of the Holy Spirit, um, drew on a lot of Old Testament imagery. Do you remember where the imagery was from? The covenant at Sinai. So, all of the images that are found in that story are also images that are associated with God making covenant with God's people. Uh, and then in Peter's speech, God is now making a new covenant with God's people through, through Jesus Christ. The other thing was, there was the, what's the message of Pentecost? What was the point? Uh, Peter will reach into the, the uh, prophet Joel, Joel chapter 2, and quote a passage of scripture about the meaning of it. But what, according to chapter 2 of Acts, what's the point of the, the Pentecost story? The Holy Spirit coming to, to everyone. Walls come tumbling down. And the first wall in Acts that comes down is the wall of language. That, that we're, we're divided by language. We can't understand each other. Uh, which harkens back to another story in, in Genesis of the Tower of Babel. So it's kind of the undoing of the Tower of Babel. Now, if you threw a big rock into a pond, you would just see the ripples go out, right? And that's essentially what we're going to happen. The rock enters in chapter 2 at the Pentecost story, and the ripples go out. The first ripple hits chapter 3. So chapter 3 is about a wall that's going to be going down. Now, we skipped over the, pen, the, uh, the address of Peter last week, except just for a, a brief part of it. We lifted up Joel's uh, prophecy. Uh, but we do want to look at one verse from chapter 2 before we get into chapter 3 because it's the verse that sets up chapter 3. It's the verse that gives the setting for chapter 3. It's just a real quick snapshot. And Luke actually does this several times in the book of Acts. He'll be narrating and he'll just stop and he'll say, oh, by the way, this is what's going on with the church. And so we have one of those little snapshots here. Uh, and we're just going to lift up this one verse, verse 46 of chapter 2. Every day, not occasionally, not when they're thinking about it, every single day, the disciples continued to meet together, which they had been doing before. So Jesus has come, Jesus has died, Jesus has left, but the community remains intact together. Where are they meeting? In the temple courts. And we find out later which ones those are. And they break bread in our home, in their homes. What does that tell you about the first Christians? They're Jews for Jesus. They're doing their practice of the Jewish faith in the temple. But who taught them to break bread? Jesus. Both with the Last Supper and the walk to Emmaus, the resurrection meal. Both are included. So the disciples see themselves as practicing Jews. They're going to the temple as part of their daily routine. Uh, and we know from other sources that that was part of the daily routine. Matter of fact, if you were in Jerusalem, you'd be likely, if you're Muslim, you pray how many times a day? Five. 
If you're a Jew, you pray three, and those are dictated. So they would go to the temple if you're in Jerusalem three times a day, and uh, these prayer times were linked to the daily sacrifices. What we think happened is that the practice of prayer originated in conjunction with the offering at the temple. You would offer, and there would be prayers associated with that. So they got in the habit of praying. So in Psalm 55, we have this. By the way, when does the Jewish day start? Sunset. So it's sunset to sunset. So the evening's when the day starts. And we're going to pray. We're going to pray evening. We're going to pray morning. And actually, noon's a bad translation. It's actually midday. So sometime in the midday or and then sometime in the evening. And the evening, by the way, could start as early as 3 o'clock. Uh, even outside Jerusalem, you remember we looked at what book recently? Book of Daniel. And you may remember a little verse there. Where we get a little insight. Daniel was not in Jerusalem. He was actually in Babylon. In Daniel 6.10, we have this. Daniel continued to go to his house. This is a practice he'd been doing. was about to get in trouble for it, but he did it again anyway. Uh, which the windows of the upper room were open towards Jerusalem. If you're Muslim, you pray towards Mecca. If you're Jew, you pray towards Jerusalem. So every synagogue is oriented towards Jerusalem, no matter where you are in the world. Here they would face east. He'd get down on his knees three times a day. Evening, morning, and noon. And he'd pray. He'd pray to his God and praise him. Uh, so the scene in, in Acts 3 is going to open with the disciples continuing to do what they've been doing. They're gathering in Jerusalem in the temple area. Uh, they're going to be practicing their Jewish faith because they believe in Jesus. They've not given that up. Uh, that probably won't happen for about a century. And this is the setting for the story. It opens with the disciples going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. And that's the background behind this. So Acts chapter 3, first 10 verses. One day, Peter and John, early in Acts, these seem to be the two key disciples. Later, James, the brother of the Lord, will become more important, but it starts out with Peter and John. They're going up to the temple. The temple's at the top of the mount, Mount Zion. So no matter where you are in Jerusalem, if you're going to the temple, you're going up to the temple. They're going up at the hour of prayer at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Certain times of the year, the sun sets early. They, they're, they're making the trek that's up there. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried in because he can't get himself in. So he has to be carried. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the Beautiful Gate. Not only does that gate have good PR, you know, beautiful, but its location is a very strategic kind of location, which we'll see in a minute. Why? So he could ask for alms of those entering the temple. Location, location, location. It's all where you are. He saw Peter and John about to go into the temple. He asked them for alms, which Jewish law requires that they give. Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, look at us. Now, if you've ever been around people who are asking for things, you know to avoid eye contact, right? Because an eye contact is implicit contract to deliver. So a lot of people work hard not to, you know. So, look, you know, so they've established eye contact, you know. They've acknowledged that he's there. So what do you think he's expecting? He's expecting to get what he came there for. He fixed his attention on them. So they're staring at him. He's staring at them, expecting to receive something from him. I mean, this is how he makes his living in life. Uh, Peter said, I have no silver or gold. 
This is the last thing this man wants to hear. Okay, he's there because in order to survive, he depends on handouts from people. But what I have, I will give you. Very famous line. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. Now, what I love about this story is it's not enough you just tell him to stand up. What happens next? You grab his arm and you assist him in the process. You yank him up with the right hand, raise him up immediately. His feet and ankles were made strong. Now, this is a guy who's been lame since when? He's never, according to the story, he's never stood up once in his life. Jumping up. Now, he's already been pulled up, so this, is, you know, this may be a literary type thing. But he's been pulled up, but now he jumps up. And at this point, we're, we're drawing in imagery from some Old Testament scripture, okay? Probably from the book of Isaiah. He stood and began to walk. He entered the temple with them, which he couldn't go into, walking, leaping, kind of a fun image, and praising God. So you got a guy dancing into the temple, okay? All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him because they walked by him every time they go in, as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him, knowing that he's never done this in his entire life. Now, outside the beautiful gate, uh, I did not know where the beautiful gate was. Did y'all? It's interesting because it, it's, it's up on the, there are gates into Jerusalem. Then there are gates into the temple compound, that large area. And then there's gates into the temple itself and a series of gates as you go in. This one at the bottom here, you're inside, you're up on the temple mount, you're inside the temple compound. The compound, uh, the area for the Gentiles, the court, courts are around that. And at the bottom down there, you see there's one gate that was very, very ornately done, and it is called the beautiful gate. And then straight up, you have the Nicanor gate there that, that leads in where all the sacrifices are. So strategically, this was the best place to be. It's the main gate, it's the beautiful gate, it's the one that people use. So it's not just a matter of uh, being a good place to work the crowd, oh, it is that. I mean, if you were going to strategically place yourself on any gate, this is the one you want to be at. He chooses well. But the real issue in this story is not the one that it appears to be. Because on the surface, you think this is really about the man being healed of a physical infirmity. That's true, but in fact, it's not the point of the story. And it's not the most important thing happened. You know, it's not that he couldn't physically enter the temple himself because he's already gone up like 75 flights of stairs to get up there at the top. How did he get there? Do you remember? Carried by his friends. Why can't his friends carry him all the way in? Because he's not allowed. That's right. By the law. You know, people brought him up the up the up these steps or up the western steps on the other side. Um, the issue is he cannot go into the temple, and it's not just a physical deal. He's not allowed because no one with a physical infirmity is allowed by Torah, by Jewish law, to enter into the compound. Only you know, the lambs have to be what? Unblemished, without a blemish. The same thing's true with people. So he's expressly forbidden by law. We look at Leviticus 21. No one of your offspring, this is the children of Israel, throughout the generations, this is a, a, a law that's in perpetuity, okay? 
never goes away. Thousand years later, still true. Anyone who has a blemish may approach, may not approach to offer the food of his God. For no one who has a blemish shall draw near. One who is blind or lame. One who has a mutilated face. I have no idea what that's about. Uh, a limb too long. Do you have one too long? Somebody once accused Abraham Lincoln of having his legs too long. Remember, he was real tall. And he said they were just long enough to reach the ground. You know, so they weren't, they weren't too long. The one who has a broken foot or a broken hand. So his friends have carried him as far in as he's allowed to go. And then they position him. So do you remember chapter 2, Pentecost story, which we celebrate today? What was the point of the story again? Walls coming down. And Peter and John literally stumble over a guy who cannot enter the temple because of a wall. And that's the point of this story. Anyone who was lame is excluded from the temple compound. That means they are excluded from worship. Can he, can he take a sacrifice into God? He may not do that. He can pray anywhere. But he simply cannot participate in the life of the community. He's lame from birth, which means not once in his entire life has he ever been able to cross that threshold. And how does that story end with him doing what? No wonder the man's dancing, okay? And he's going in with Peter and he's going in with John. What I have I give you? Uh, the man approaches the day, you would think, like any other day of his life, a good day, you get some offerings, okay? Uh, and you cover the needs of life. If it's a great day, maybe you have some abundance. Little did he know what he was going to be getting on this particular day. He gets something very, very different than what he thought. Uh, they heal the man. But again, the story is not about primarily physical healing. And there's, a, there's a much deeper part here. Uh, and the story is not just that he's physically healed, but that for the first time in his life, he can actually participate in the Jewish life. Uh, he enters the temple courts. He's walking. He's leaping. He's praising God. Uh, Acts, one of the things that Acts will do throughout the book of Acts is that the disciples are consistently portrayed as carrying out the same kind of ministry that Jesus did. Do you remember what, 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 let's think about it for a second. What kinds of things did Jesus do? Healed. Okay. Um, healed lepers. One of the other things he did is people who were excluded, lepers, prostitutes, others, he included. So this ministry of knocking down walls was a part of the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. It's a part of the ministry that, that's continued with the disciples. And Luke highlights that. Uh, he's lived his entire life outside the community. He's now restored to wholeness in every sense of the word. It's not just his body that's healed. For the first time in his life, he can be a Jew in the full sense of the word. Uh, those who were there that day seeing this, uh, as, as he says, they, they were surprised. Uh, but they would have seen it as more, uh, as a sign of something more significant. And this is where the language becomes very, very important. Uh, Luke uses highly suggestive language. It is language that is drawn from Scripture. Uh, there's a lot of words that you would use to describe a lame man being healed. Leaping is not the first one that would come to my mind, you know, or dancing or something like that. But when you use the word leaping... There are scriptures that begin to flash if, if you're from this background. 
Uh, Luke is suggesting that there's more than a simple healing. He's even suggesting that there's more than the simply that the guy cannot participate in the community. The word leaping suggests that something even more is going on. Uh, he's suggesting that this hope that the, the Jewish people have had for centuries, that you know someday God's promises would be fulfilled. Someday the Messiah would come. And it's not just the Messiah. Someday there would be healing. Someday there would be restoration. Someday all these things the prophets talked about would come to pass. The word leaping suggests that Luke is saying that someday has come. It is now. And this is starting to happen. We have the prophet Isaiah uh, said that the lame would leap as a sign of God's final deliverance. That's in chapter 35. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, is spoken in the time of exile. Be strong. Do not fear, for your God is here. He will come and save you or deliver you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And this is language we find in Isaiah often. This is language that Jesus identified with. And then we have the lame shall leap like a deer. So if you're raised in the Jewish tradition, to suddenly talk about a lame guy leaping around carries freight. It carries a lot of meaning. Uh, Acts 3, Peter and John give the man what they do not, uh, what they have to offer, and the lame man suddenly starts leaping. And then Peter, in the speech, and in this case we are going to look at the speech, gives an interpretation of what this means. You've got a man jumping around, leaping around, and Peter now speaks. He actually moves to a different location, and he begins to give an interpretation of this. What he does is he links the man's leaping back to the events that had happened 50 days earlier at Passover with the last week of the life of Jesus and with Jesus' death and resurrection. So we pick up at verse 11. While the lame man, lame man clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the portico called Solomon's Portico. Now, they had been over here at the beautiful gate. This fancy deal here is actually what's called Simon's Portico. Uh, they've now moved out into the area. Gentiles, Jews, women, anybody can be in that area. So they've actually moved over to the side. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people. You Israelites, why do you wonder at this? Why do you wonder that this man's jumping around in fulfillment of Scripture? Or why do you stare at us? Apparently they're being stared at. Who are these guys? As though by our own power or piety we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. We know who that is, right? The God of the Jews. The God of our ancestors has glorified his servant Jesus. And all of a sudden we segue from the man to the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth whom you handed over and rejected in the presence of Pilate, though he had decided to release them. Now, it's very interesting that this implies who's guilty for the death of Jesus, who's innocent of the death of Jesus, Rome and Pontius Pilate. Now, Luke is writing about the year 85. The temple has been destroyed. Luke is writing primarily to a, a, a Gentile audience. And so some of this is historically conditioned. By the end of the first century, there's, there's, we're less historical because historically, who killed Jesus? 
Rome with the help of the temple authorities, not the Jewish people. So, but moving forward, we begin to get that kind of uh, uh, twisted a little bit. And Luke reflects a little bit of that. Uh, but ye rejected the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer given to you. Remember who that was? Okay. And that's in the Gospel of Luke. And you killed the author of life, which means who killed Jesus? And you can see where some of this stuff then goes in later centuries as it develops. Whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses. We were there. We saw that. By, this, is, this gets interesting. By faith in his name, not faith in God, not even faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus' name, his name itself has made this man strong. Now, final exam time. Do you remember anything in the story about the man having faith? No, it's not there. So this is that, that, that speech that Luke creates to kind of interpret what's going on. Whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given him this perfect health. You kind of have to read back from the speech into the story, and there's kind of an implied, at least from the speech's viewpoint, that the man had some kind of faith in the presence of all of you. And now, friends, I know that you acted in ignorance in rejecting Jesus, as did also your rulers. In this way, God fulfilled what he foretold to all of his prophets. We get that really weird thing. You bad, nasty people who did this, but it fulfilled God's plans and God's scripture, you know. And there's a tension there. It's the same thing with Judas. Judas betrayed Jesus, but everything was according to God's plan. Well, can you have it both ways? Luke does. Uh, that the Messiah would suffer, repent, therefore, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out at the times of refreshing. That's code. Heard that term, times of refreshing, before? Or, or language very similar to that. May come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send the Messiah appointed to you. That is Jesus. Well I thought Jesus already came. He did. So when would God be sending the Messiah? Second coming. Okay. But remember what we had in chapter 1. Jesus is gone four times. Don't be looking up there. He's not here. He's gone. Said that again and again and again. We get a very similar message here. He must remain in heaven. Don't be looking for Jesus to come back. He's got to remain in heaven, at least for a while, until the time of, here's the code word again, universal restoration. When everything is made the way God wants it to be, then Jesus will come. Not before, but after. That God announced long ago through his holy prophets. Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you among your own people a prophet like me. And that's a quotation from the Old Testament. Uh, each gospel portrays Jesus in a little bit different imagery. One of the ways that Luke understands Jesus is Jesus is a prophet. He's not just a prophet. He's the prophet. He's the prophet that Moses said would come as an indication that the final time had come into being. You must listen to whatever he tells you. And all the prophets. How many are there? Several. Got the four major prophets, 12 minor prophets. Got extras like, uh, uh, what? 
Elijah, Elisha, Micaiah, and some others. All the prophets, as many as ever given a message, from Samuel, who is the last judge and the first prophet, according to the text, and those after him, from the first one all the way to the end, also predicted these days. So from, from the viewpoint of the speech, every single prophet in the Old Testament spoke about what? <coughs> about Jesus. Okay. And that is classic early Christian, the way they used the old the way they used the scripture. They looked the they used the scripture in such a way they looked for Jesus in everything. <laughs> you know, Jesus is the culmination of everything. And so places where you and I might go, I don't really see Jesus in that they did. And so Luke is saying every single prophet, you are the descendants of those prophets and of the covenant. Now he's making a little change here. There's several covenants in the Bible. Do you remember the covenant that created the Jewish people? Covenant with yeah, pre-Moses, the covenant with Abraham. So this is where we're going. We want to go back to Abraham to the beginning. That God gave to your ancestors, saying to Abraham. Now, it occurs several times, but without looking at it, do you remember what God said to Abraham? God, uh, leave, go to a place, and I'll show you where it is. Don't worry about it. Just trust me on this issue. And I'll give you what? Children, as many as the sands on the shore. What? And land. Yeah, the promised land. And... Yeah, it's the one not for their own people. You shall be a blessing to all nations. And that, that all nations. Do you remember what those walls inside the temple kept out? All nations, okay. And in your descendants, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Everybody, lock, stock, and barrel. Then God raised up his servant and sent him first to you to bless you. Dot, dot, dot. Where will he go next? First he comes to God's people, but you've read Acts. Where will he go? Via Paul. To the Gentiles. To the nations. By turning each of you from your wicked ways. Now there's Solomon's portico, so they moved outside the temple itself. Uh, they're still in the temple compound, so they're still in the general area. Talking about the God of the ancestors. Uh, Peter's, one of the things that, that this speech does, and it's in chapter 2, the Pentecost speech. It's in chapter 3, this speech. It's in chapter 4. It's, it's one of the major themes of, of the book of Acts. Is that even though we have places that talk about the Jews are the ones who killed Jesus. Luke wants to stress vehemently. The continuity of the Christian faith with its Jewish roots. It is one. So he stresses that continuity. God of the, uh, which God was it that was God, Jesus' God? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of your fathers. It's the Jewish God who did that, who acts in Jesus. Glorifying your servant Jesus, uh, like chapter 2, this is a reference to the resurrection and the ascension. And we saw that back in chapter 2. Actually, we didn't because we skipped it, but we'll jump back and get it. This Jesus God raised up, and of all of us, of that all of us are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, which is the ascension story. 
I mean, that, that works its way into the Apostles' Creed. Uh, whom you handed over and rejected. Uh, this is another theme from the Pentecost speech. Uh, the blame for Jesus' death is being shifted off Rome. Now, if Luke is writing about the year 85, he's writing in Rome to Gentiles, you might want to soft sell the fact that Jesus was killed by Rome. And you might just want to shift that, that blame over a little bit. There's plenty of blame to go around. Uh, but we begin to see that here. Uh, again, this is probably not something the historical Peter would have done, uh, but it makes sense historically in terms of what Luke is doing and when Luke is writing to a Roman audience. The speech piled its own. You reject the holy and righteous one. Uh, you ask to have their murderer given to you. Uh, you kill the author of life. And so there's, there's a lot of that, that language there. Then we have an, an interesting thing. We have faith in the name. Again, not faith in God, not faith in Jesus, faith in name. Uh, and there's an interesting way that you do this. And, and by looking at this, we know what, what Bible that Luke is actually working with. Luke is not working with the Hebrew Bible. He's working with the Septuagint because this only works in Greek. It does not work in Hebrew. The prophet Joel tells us that the name of the Lord has the power to save. Uh, and this is the prophet Peter is already quoted in this Pentecost speech in chapter 2. And so we have, then everyone who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. The question is, who's the Lord? Is the Lord God? Or is the Lord Jesus? Now in Hebrew, it's very clear because the word used there is a word you're familiar with, Yahweh. So in the book of Joel, calling on the name of God, everyone who calls on the name of God will be saved. But when that book was translated into Greek for the Septuagint, a funny thing happened. They did not use the word Yahweh. They used the word kurios, the word Lord. Now, what is one of the titles that we give Jesus? The Lord Jesus. And it just happens that the very title that Christians use for Jesus, we have in Greek, the book of Joel saying anybody that calls on the name that we give to Jesus will be saved. And so we know that Luke is actually working with the Greek there. It's another indication that these speeches are probably written by Luke, not Peter. Uh, Peter spoke, as far as we know, Hebrew and no Greek. And the logic only works if you work in Greek. The power of the name is something that Luke will return to again and again. It's a, it's a major theme. So in Acts chapter 2 in the Pentecost story, we have this. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? If you're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, your sins will be forgiven. Now, some people get a lot of mileage out of this, and they, would, they don't think if you're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, it works. And so there are literally some churches that say, if you've been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that's not baptism. Because this verse says you have to be baptized in what? The name of Jesus. And so that, you know, I wouldn't put that much into it, but some would. Acts 4, signs and wonders are performed. How? Through the name of Jesus. That's how we work these things. Jesus' name is so powerful that at one point in the book of Acts, if you want to shut down the Christian movement, what do you need to stop? Using the name of Jesus, okay? And so we have there in Acts 4, 7, so they gathered them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Because if you can shut that down, you shut the whole thing down. Uh, Peter's speech, the name of Jesus, almost seems to replace Jesus. It almost sounds like, I know he didn't intend that, but it almost sounds like it becomes an object of faith in itself. So in our chapter, 
And by faith in his name, his name itself has made this main name strong. It's, it's almost like the name is all that matters. And the faith that is through Jesus has given him his perfect health. Then he talks about this business of being foretold by the prophets. It's again linking back to the tradition. Uh, again, it's central to Luke that everything, uh, Luke is utterly concerned about continuity because in the time Luke lives, there are some people who are arguing you don't need your Jewish roots to be Christian. You don't need the Old Testament. You don't need the God of the Old Testament. All you need is the New Testament. And there were people who actually proposed that and would propose it for another couple. Of, and there's some people who still propose that. I grew up in one of those churches. So even at, uh, any of y'all ever grew up in a church that did not use the Old Testament? You have a Bible that was the New Testament in the book of Psalms? So there are the churches out there. I know there's at least one on the desk of Texas, okay? Uh, <laughs> the blame for Jesus' death shifted. Uh, at the same time, we're going to affirm continuity. Uh, and then Peter now links Isaiah's end-time image of leaping like a deer to two other images that we looked at. We have times of refreshing. This is some of the imagery that when God's kingdom finally comes, everything will be renewed. Uh, uh, remember the book of Revelation? Behold, I make all things new. Everything's refreshed. Same thing with the universal restoration. Uh, time when Israel will be restored. And that would include the lost tribes coming home. Uh, it would include any walls or barriers that, that keeps them away coming down. And this new universal uh, Israel will be universal. And it will include all. Even that guy they almost stepped over getting into the temple in chapter 3. He's included. That's why it's important. Jesus must remain in heaven. Uh, the ascension story, Luke uh, repeatedly, as we mentioned, reaffirmed that Jesus was gone. And now he adds that he's going to stay gone. So don't focus on that. Do you remember in chapter 1 when we had the ascension story, what the, the, the essential message of that was? Don't stand. Remember at the empty tomb? Don't look at the empty tomb. He's not here. Get busy. You know, in the book of Acts, don't stand around looking to heaven. He ain't here. Get busy. You've got work to do as a church. Um, Jesus' return will not happen until later after the, the, that. In the meanwhile, we as the people of God have got things we need to do. And then we get this language. God announced long ago through his holy prophets, Moses said, he's going back to that Jewish tradition over and over and over. Uh, and making those connections, and everything has this kind of continuity. It's a, it's a major theme in chapter 3. It's a major theme in the book of Acts. Um, and then we get this, finally, this crescendo for, for Luke, and I think probably for the early church. Luke probably is reflecting not just his own belief, but the belief of the community. Every single prophet, every single thing in Scripture, every single thing, in the Old Testament for a Christian points forward and points to Jesus and points to fulfillment. Um, and we'll, we'll see that again and again. And then, of course, Peter ends by the one person that really counts, Father Abraham, the father of our faith, um, and that everything has been leading, you know, kind of going back to that, that one thing. To Abraham, to the blessing of Abraham, that all the nations shall be blessed. Uh, in Genesis, we have this. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It occurs a couple other times. Acts quotes it almost, uh, almost word for word. And this is the point that we've all been leading to. With the promise to Abraham, 
that everyone will be blessed without distinction. Chapter 2, Pentecost, the Spirit comes, walls fall down. Chapter 3 again, the circle's enlarging, another wall is going to come down. Um, it's what Joel spoke when he talked about the Spirit falling on all, actually Joel says all flesh, everything, there is no exclusions. It's what Isaiah spoke of and Isaiah referred to a light to the nations. It's why God chose Abraham to be a blessing to the nations. There, there's, a, there's a consistent pattern here through the tradition. It's why uh, Peter speaks of all the prophets from Samuel as pointing to Jesus. Uh, it is with Jesus, his ministry, his death, and that message is it's now been entrusted to the church, to John, to Peter, and to others that we will begin to see walls coming down. So a little later, remember a guy named Cornelius going up to the temple to pray? What was Cornelius? He was a eunuch and he was from Ethiopia. Is a eunuch allowed in the temple? Is an Ethiopian allowed in the temple? No. Ripple, 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 ripple. Um, Stephen's going to go to the Samaritans. Are the Samaritans allowed in? No. Paul will go to the Gentiles. Are the Gentiles allowed in? No. Ripple, ripple, ripple as it goes out. Pentecost is just the first example. It begins with the, the barriers of language. We then move to the story of the lame man, which is why we simply cannot skip this story. You know, it, it's, a, it's a linchpin into this. Uh, that the person who was excluded, is included, comes in dancing. The universal restoration has begun. And that radical inclusiveness that's central to our faith and that Second Temple Judaism struggled with. So there are people who will be invested in the way things are. There always are. There are people who are invested in people being excluded. Do you think there's going to be some conflict? We'll introduce Paul as an enemy of the faith holding the coats of those who stoned Stephen to death. And then he will be brought into the fold. But throughout, as we roll forward, the one of the major themes is this, this new message is not universally welcomed. It is fought by many. So next week, we are going to fast forward to the Hebrews and the Hellenists, one of the real powerful but lesser-known stories of the book of Acts.